0: Psalm chapter 137, go ahead and turn with me there, because you're going to want to see this. This morning's going to be a little bit different again. Praise the Lord, it's good to have things different every once in a while. Psalm 137, we've been systematically starting each service with a psalm, been working backwards, and... Uh, because usually the last ones are the the least least quoted, and the least uh, studied. You start out with Psalm one, which is amazing, and through twenty three and beyond. And there's all kinds of great psalms that are quoted all the time, but some of these are never seen. This be one of them. And as you read it, as we read it today, there is a purpose. I didn't think there was a purpose. As I was reading, I'm thinking, how in the world are we going to turn this into a song or into a psalm about worship? And we may not as we read it, but uh, it does have a purpose. Psalm 137, beginning with verse 1, says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required us song, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. We shall How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against a rock. As I was meditating on that scripture, and you don't want to do that too long. What came to me was gloom, despair, and agony of me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony of me. That's a, that's a little known psalm from uh, the middle part. But we read that, and what the, what the uh, Israelites are going through is that they're in captivity. They're in Babylon. They've been there for a period of time. While they're there, they're servants, they're slaves. They're separated from their homeland, they're, they're slaves, they're being made to work against their will, they're being made to, to stay away from their home. Jerusalem has been destroyed, their home has been destroyed. And while they're there, their captors are getting friendly with them, they're getting used to them, and they're saying, hey, guys, why don't you sing us one of your songs? Why don't you sing us one of the songs from your country? It, I'm sure It's fun. And these Israelites are saying, Really? You want us to sing one of our songs? Gloom. Despair. I mean, that last verse, you know, I won't even read it again, but that last verse, my goodness, can you just the the visual on that? How upset are the Israelites because of what the Babylonians have done? Destroy them, God. Destroy them. There's a problem with this, though. There's a problem with their perception of what's happening here. Can you see it? Do you see what's wrong with their song? Why are they in Babylon? They're in Babylon because they're being punished. They're in Babylon because of sin. They're feeling sorry for themselves because, oh, it's so terrible. It's so horrible what the Babylonians have done to us. No. Guys, you did it to yourselves. You did it to yourselves. We do it to ourselves. I said it was going to be a little different this morning. Every time we come to church, it isn't always the same. Turn to Joshua. Joshua chapter
1: 7.
0: We've been also talking about the children of Israel and talking about the process and about the miracles and expecting miracles they had left they had been freed from Egypt another another time when they were in bondage another time yeah uh, the release the kids any kids that any kids that are planning on being we're not we're not we're gonna do uh, communion at the end so the kids are going to do communion uh, in their classroom. They had been in Egypt. That time wasn't because of sin, you know that? They were in captivity. They were in bondage, not because of their sin. They were in captivity because of God's provision and protection for them. Remember the reason they got to Egypt was because They were going to starve to death if they didn't. They weren't going to make it. And and God led the 11 brothers and their dad to move there after God had sent Joseph ahead. Joseph had gone into Egypt as a slave. Joseph had gone in there as being sold by his own family. But God used that situation. So not every bad situation you end up in is because of your sin. There are times when things happen, it's because it's a process. We live in a world that's fallen, and and the world has pain and suffering in it, and we're in the midst of this. And for us to experience pain and suffering is not the worst thing in the world. I know know that one's going to get a huge amen this morning. (laughs) But there's times when it's tough out there, and it's supposed to be tough. It is tough. It's the world but He gives us grace through it. Now, I'm not talking about a lot of things that could pop into your mind because that's not what we're talking about. There are things that are, are, are there because of the curse. Sickness is because of the curse. We're redeemed from the curse. Poverty is not part of... Well, that's, God's just trying to teach you something. Yeah, He's trying to teach you to knock it off and get out of there. Live differently. Make better choices. Be, be frugal, be, be generous, be a giver, be, you know, live your life in such a way that He can prosper you. But there are times when people treat you badly. There are times when people do things that, that are not necessarily what you had hoped and wanted to have happen, but that, that it does happen. And so these Israelites are, are coming out of Egypt, they're being delivered out of Egypt. Do you know that Jesus went to Egypt? Isn't that an interesting correlation? And it was a place of safety for him. Hmm. But these these Israelites have been released out of bondage. They've gone through the desert. They've gone through 40 years. Their forefathers have all died because of their disobedience, because of sin. And they learn Joshua... Just did things a little bit different than Moses. Moses, there were times when the people were whining and complaining, and he, and he listened to them. Joshua, when it came time to go into go against Jericho, he said, "Don't talk. Shut up. I don't want to hear a word. I don't even care if it's a good word. Don't say anything. The less you say, the better." And they went in and they destroyed the oldest walled city. In the world at that time. God destroyed it. They just obeyed. Remember, we talked do we need to talk review what happened last week? Review the follow? No, I didn't think so. Nobody wants to be called up for that. So they have this victory. They have an amazing victory. They have a fantastic victory. It's wonderful. But what happens many times when we have a victory? We get cocky. Joshua was an amazing leader. Joshua spent hours and hours and days in the presence of God. Even when Moses would leave the tent of meeting, Joshua would spend time in the tent of meeting. He would go there and listen and spend time in the presence of God. He understood, I need to listen to God. But after the biggest victory, after a huge victory, what does he do? The next story is amazing. Go to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Don't have all the people go up, but let about two or three hundred men go up and attack Ai. It's easy. No worries. If God beat the the city of of, uh, Jericho... And we didn't have to lift a sword to, to drop the, the, the walls. AI is going to be nothing. Just send a few. Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack AI. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about 36 of the men and chased them before the gate as far as cherubim, or whatever that word is, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. When Joshua tore his clothes... Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? God, why are you failing us here? God, why did you screw up? God, why did you do that? Why didn't you protect us? Why didn't you help us today, Lord? We're just doing what you told us to do. Really? How did they make their battle plans? They made their battle plans by, oh, that was easy. This next one, they're even less people. This is going to be easier. And the walls aren't as big. That just sent about 3,000 guys. Don't make everybody go up there. There's nothing in there where it said that they sought the Lord, is it? It wasn't until afterward that Joshua before the the ark throws dust all over himself and says oh god why have you failed us now he's gonna he'll be eating crow here in just a minute because when god starts to speak it's not god's fault it wasn't god's fault it was joshua's fault for not asking it was joshua's fault for not listening He listened to to his advisors rather than listening to the Spirit of God. That's bad enough. But the problem came from sin. Bottom line, sin. Do you see the correlation here? The correlation is between between Babylon, the children of Israel being sent to Babylon, it was because of sin. The, The reason they were defeated at Ai was because of? Sin. Now, we don't like to talk about sin. And there's nobody who likes to talk less about sin than me. I don't want to talk about sin. I don't. I don't want to talk about sin. Why? Because every word I say is being double-judged. I'm being double-judged. Oh, gracious sakes, Lord, have mercy. This week has been an exciting week for me, folks. It's been a wonderful week. Because guess what my week has been like? Now, I haven't even told my wife. She has no idea. I haven't told anybody. Why? Because I don't want to talk about my sin. I don't want to get up here this morning and talk about my sin. I'd much rather talk about your sin. (laughs) But if I don't talk about sin this morning, I'll be sinning. You see the problem I have. Sin. Nobody wants to talk about sin. Nobody really wants to deal with sin. They especially don't want to deal with their own sin. could you go out and bring anybody in that's out there? Because we need to talk about their sin. <laughs> it's not just for us this morning, folks. Everybody's getting in on this one. If I have to talk about my sin, then you get to talk about your sin with God or publicly. Anybody want to do that publicly right now? Just
1: <laughs>
0: like the verse says, "He who has the cast the first stone sin huh. you know the worst part about this whole thing sin, God dealing with sin. that he's so gracious about it. he's so gracious about it. that's the part that beats me up the worse it's not because God has chewed me out this week he didn't chew me out at all He's been gracious through it. And that hurts. That's painful. He's made it very evident that sin is unacceptable. But He's done it in such a way that it It gets to the heart. Because if he was a jerk about it, if he was mean about it, if he was vindictive about it, we'd put up our wall, wouldn't we? But when he deals with it from an aspect of love, there's no defense. There's no way to protect yourself. You can't put up the wall. Sin is absolutely unacceptable any sin any degree of sin any level of sin and what is sin where, where does what does it look like I'll, I get to tell you what it looks like in my life yay It looks like pride. It's the same same sin that the Israelites displayed. The same sin they laid out. Achan, the guy who stole the gold, said, Yeah, well, I deserve this. I, I worked hard here. And and all this gold and these, you know, this gold's gonna go right into the treasury. And you know, have you seen how much gold is going into the treasury? I mean, tons of gold are being ransacked out of this place. They're not going to miss a couple of shekels here and there. And I deserve it. I deserve the sin. I, I need this gold. I need this sin. That's pride. Anytime what I want and what I need gets placed above above what God said, it's sin. I deserve to make this choice. I deserve to have this attitude. I mean, God understands I have needs. (laughs) He did understand. You have needs, you have need of a Savior. And He took care of that. But man, we're selfish. I'm selfish. I am so selfish as a human being, as an individual, as a person. I'm a selfish human being because I I should be allowed this attitude. I should be allowed this luxury. Now, I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about, oh God, just let me have this one, this, you know, this, you know, it's not hurting anybody. Nobody knows because it's happening up here. It's happening right up here and nobody's going to ever know. See, I can, I, can, I can do this and it doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah, it does. I mean, what's a couple of pieces of gold stuck underneath my tent? What does that matter? Well, it costs 36 lives to begin with and the lives of you and your whole family. That's what it cost. Because they were destroyed. God God told them single those guys out, they're done. Yeah, they're, his kids, his grandkids. The whole group suffered because of his sin. Years ago, many years ago, I had a dream one night. And in this dream, I had an affair. And this affair was just between me and that person. It had nothing to do with anybody else. Nobody else got hurt. (laughs) And in the dream, God pulled me out of that situation and he said, Watch what happens. And it affected my wife, my family, my kids, my extended family, my parents, Deb's parents. It affected you. It affected people I didn't even know. Because the choice I made disqualified me from ever reaching the person. I- I didn't even know. But at some point in time in my life, I will know them. Sin doesn't just affect you. Sin doesn't just affect me. Oh God, why did we lose this battle? Why didn't you fight for us, God? Because you got pride in your life. Because I'm not going to bless pride. I'm not going to bless disobedience. I'm not going to bless sin. You don't know what it's going to cost you. You don't know. I don't know what my sin has cost has already cost me. I repent because I don't know what my sin has cost you. I'm sorry. Now, I didn't have an affair, just in case you were thinking this was a big buildup. But sin is hideous pride is hideous it destroys you and it destroys future and potential we must loathe sin and we don't get we don't even get to have a shade of it in our life oh it's just it's just that no, it's not. That sin is killing you. And the more brazen you are about it, yeah, well, there you go. At some point in time, the Bible says, you'll get hardened to it and you won't even see it anymore. Remember a couple of weeks ago, either last week or the week before, the psalm that we read was, search me, O God, see if there's any wicked way in me. Why does he haven't asked that question? The reason being is he's become hardened to it. He doesn't even see it anymore. What in our lives is hardened to God and we don't even see it anymore? And the nail in this whole thing, you didn't think it could get any worse, do you? The nail in this whole thing is last night, I had another dream. I woke up this morning at four o'clock from the dream. And the dream was what's coming. It's glorious. It's glorious. I'm not I'm not at liberty to share it. I I just can't. I don't because I, I know it's not for that. The reason is is what I saw was I could have never even imagined what I saw. It was so much more powerful. It was so much more amazing. It was so far beyond whatever I could hope, think, or ask. And the amazing, (laughs) I woke up and the amazing thing was, I don't know if it was my thought or if it was the thought the Lord put in my head. He goes, now that you've thought it, it's bigger. You still don't have an idea. I still don't have an idea how how amazingly powerful and effective what God is doing right now in us and around us and through us. We have no idea. I have a glimpse of it. And it just blows me away. And the worst part is, the nail in this whole thing is, could it have been bigger? <laughs> What I mean by bigger is could one more life have been affected if I'd have knocked it off? In World War II, Schindler, everybody's heard of Schindler when we were in when I was in Poland the last time, we went through his, through the museum in the factory that he owned in Krakow. And you walk into a room, and it's actually, it's so bright, it, started, it gave me a headache. There was so much light in this room, and it's circling the room where the names of the people that he had saved. the magnitude of the lives that he had touched through that process of, of, of basically buying them out of the death camps. He bribed people. He sold his, his living. He sold everything he had to save lives. And his famous quote at the end of World War II was, I could have sold my watch. That had been one more life. I didn't sell my watch. In the Old Testament... When people sinned, people died. In the New Testament, when the power of God was being poured out and people sinned, people died. This isn't to scare you. This isn't a manipulation thing to scare you. Is to inform you that what's happening in this valley is holy. What's happening right now in your life, it's holy. And that puts the fear of the Lord in me. God didn't even tell me to stop it. You know that? He was so gracious in all of this. He's so amazing in all of this. He didn't tell me. He didn't warn me. Stop it. He didn't have to say anything. All He did was He showed me what the future looks like. And the, 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 the holiness of it, the awesomeness of it, has driven me to my knees. We all have to count the cost because the sin in our camp affects us all. Like I said, my sin... Affects you. I don't know what to level, I, to what level. I don't know to what degree. But so does your sin. It affects us, it affects the body of Christ, it affects the kingdom of God. And I don't want one person to be blocked off from the grace of God because of me. Turn to John chapter 1. While I'm doing that worship team, why don't you come on up. Get ready. John chapter 1. Beginning with verse 1. Because right before I woke up this morning, this was the last thing the Holy Spirit said to me. Not these verses, but I'll tell you what He said. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. he was made has made him known. It's all about the word, folks. It's all about the word. Jesus is the word. And that word came to this earth for a purpose and that was to destroy the works of the devil through his own life through his own blood to redeem us from the curse it was through his obedience <laughs> through his obedience disobedience is sin it was through his obedience even under the cross that he laid down his own life and died for us ushers why don't you prepare them obedience sin is disobedience sin is not doing what you're supposed to do it's also not or it's also doing what you're not supposed to do Obedience is life. Not obedience to me. Not obedience to my rules. Not obedience to anybody's rules other than the words. Allowing the Word to rule and reign in your life. To allow the the Spirit of God to speak truth into your life. And you obey it, whatever it is. Whatever it is. For one person it's this, for another person it's that. You know. You know. You know. You don't need me to tell you what it is. his obedience to the cross he lived his whole life sinless and then he went to the cross and the night the night before he was before he died the night he was betrayed he was having a meal with his servants his disciples and it says that he broke the bread and he said this is my body broken for you when they tried to stop the guards, he says, I'm laying my life down willingly, guys. Stop this. And he went with them willingly. He said, Why did you come at me with clubs and and, and spears? I'd have, walked, I'd have walked there by myself. Obedience. Ruthless, ruthless obedience anything less is sin. Father, forgive me. Forgive me, Father. At the end of the meal, it says that he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. The blood of the new covenant. As often as you do this, remember me. Years ago, I was at a meeting where Charles Cap spoke. And he said something in that meeting that it it hit me between the eyes that day and I cannot shake it. I've, I've thought of it often over the years. And this morning it's right there. He said time is like a triangle, an inverted triangle. When we were farther away from the coming of Christ, there was all kinds of leeway. All kinds of wiggle room. But as time has progressed, it's narrowed. I'm telling you folks, there's no wiggle room left. today don't leave here today don't leave here today holding on to your sin don't do it whatever you have to do whatever it is do it do it yeah I know it's hard The longer we hold on to it, the harder it is to let go of it. I can give you every reason why I shouldn't let go of it. I can give you, I can reason it away. I can, I can justify every bit of it. But before we publicly announce that I'm joining with the obedience of Christ, that sin is gone, man. It has to be. It has to be gone the new testament paul says some of some of you are ill and some of you have died because you're not you're not you're not living right you're not you're not living your life right you're not you're not you're saying one thing here and you're doing something else out there you can't do that anymore i'm telling you folks it's it's we're done what is before us is amazing and glorious and powerful and tough and could die through it you know because there's a the whole martyr thing but it's for his glory all of this is for his glory if it's not if there's any part of your life that you're not living for his glory it's sin get rid of it this morning I'm going to have you come up receive the elements go back grab a seat once everybody is gone then I'll come back up and we'll receive communion together. Amen. sin is not by you being better or me being better it's not about me okay that's it that's it i'm gonna follow the rules i'm gonna i'm always gonna think right thoughts i'm always gonna be i'm always gonna do everything i'm he's asked me i'm gonna do it every time i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it it's grace it's his grace it's not performance it's not about being better It's about letting him live through you even more. Every day. Just, Lord, I I know when that opportunity arises. I know what leads up to it. I know why I get that way. I know why I say the things I do. I know I, I understand I see it. I know myself too well. And Lord, you know me even more. But Father, I ask you for the grace. The grace from this day forward for today. The grace for today live for you even more to honor you with everything that I say and do Father I repent for those attitudes I repent for for the pride I repent for the sin and Lord I ask you Lord I need your help more more today I need you more today Father, I thank You that You made a way where there really is no other way. I thank You for Jesus, for His broken body, for His shed blood. Jesus, I thank You for Your obedience, even unto death. Holy Spirit, I thank You for Empowering me to live this life. Because, Lord, I can't do it myself. And today, as we count the cost, and as we are about to partake in your body and blood, aligning ourselves with you, your death, your burial, your resurrection. It's all about You, Lord. It's all about the Word, Your Word. Father, I thank You that we could do this, we can walk this out as the body of Christ. And Lord, we do again truly remember You today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Father, we do our commitment, Our renew our love for you this morning. Father, we do love you. We thank you so much for life. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. And we say this morning, Lord, your will be done your will be done in my life, through my life, for your glory. We praise you for it, Father, and we thank you that it is only possible because of what Jesus did. Thank you, Lord. We do honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, Maybe see. You. <laughs> the, the time when pride or sin, is the easiest to get into our lives is right after a victory. The Israelites had just defeated Jericho and they were like, yeah, we can do this. And they could. God had already told them He was going to and that He would and that, that they were going to be able to succeed all the way to the end. But pride got in. For me, I've noticed that when, I'm so, when, when, when I have fallen the hardest, when I've when I've been humbled the most, is right after a victory, or right before one. To keep our hearts right, the victory is ours. Amen. Amen.
1: So everybody can relax, take it easy, I'm not going to talk about sin, okay, lean back, relax, but pay attention, pay attention. All right, so, am I too loud? No? Okay. Um, so if you'll, of course you remember last time I talked, um, the gist of what I talked about was... Everything that God does, He does out of love, right? The foundation of everything He does is love. God is love. love. Very good. God is love. So continuing with that thought, um, I want to talk today about God in His love has created a system by which if we, if we understand it and we operate in it, He will supply every single one of our needs. Okay. So Genesis one verse twenty nine. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And then Genesis eight twenty-two While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat. And unfortunately, winter and summer, don't you wish it said spring and summer? Winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. Okay? So seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping, will not cease. So we see from these scriptures that our natural, our natural food is provided through seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping, Okay? But we can see from other verses in the Bible that every single area of our life is impacted by sowing and reaping. Galatians Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Okay. So we see that what we reap depends on what we sow. We can also see that how much we reap Depends on how much we sow. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Okay. Now this is just a handful of the scriptures about sowing and reaping that exist in the, in the Bible. There are hundreds of verses throughout the Old and New Testament that talk about sowing and reaping. And it's obvious; it's an extremely important part of our lives. It's it's an extremely important part of how God gets us our needs met. Okay, so it's important then that we understand it, right, and that we operate within it. So, just quickly here, what we need to understand is where the responsibilities lie. Okay, Second Corinthians nine, verse ten. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Okay, so who supplies the seed? Now may he, capital H, who supplies seed to the sower, God. Okay, who sows the seed? We do. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower And bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Okay, so after you sow it, who multiplies it? God. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Okay, now, this is where a lot of us have missed it. Who reaps? Who brings in the harvest? Whose responsibility is that? It's ours. A lot of people, I think, are waiting on God to bring in the harvest. But look at the farmer, okay? God provides him the seed. It's the farmer's responsibility to sow it. God multiplies it when it's in the ground. But the farmer doesn't wait for God to bring it in. Right? It's the farmer's responsibility to bring in the harvest. So that's I'll, I'll be able to get into a little bit more depth in that in in the coming weeks, but... The key thing that I want everybody to understand as we're talking about tithes and offerings in the weeks, in, in months ahead, is that tithes and offerings occur within the context of sowing and reaping, within the framework of sowing and reaping. So sowing and reaping is, you know, the foundation behind tithes and offerings. So it's a very, we need to, we need to keep that in mind as we talk about tithes and offerings. Amen. You guys ready? Okay, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love for us, that you have set up a system of sowing and reaping by which every single one of our needs can be met. It's a system that always works. Father God, we we thank you so much for that. And Father God, I thank you that the, the... seed that is sown today, that you multiply it, you are multiplying it, and you are bringing it back as a harvest into the lives of those that sow it. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.